It was about this time last year. I remember it was a particularly rough few weeks for me. You know, those weeks where it just seems that it's just one thing after another that goes wrong. And so it was, a, it was especially a bad time for my old Apple computer to get that dreaded wheel of death on the screen, right? You all know what I'm talking about, where you press the keys, nothing happens, frozen. Got to the point where that wheel of death just did not go away and I had to get a new computer. So I got the computer, I got it all set up. Later, I was home, back home with my family, down in Elwood, having dinner. I was packing up to leave, throwing things in the car. I realized I had forgotten something in my sister's house, so I ran back in the house, then got back to the car and headed off to Mokina. When I got to Mokina, looking in my bag, I realized and saw that my computer wasn't in my bag. So I called my sister right away and said, my computer is at the house. Look, look around real quick. I'll be back there in 20, 25 minutes to, to grab it. She calls back a couple minutes later and says, Mark, I've looked around the house. There's no computer here. It was that moment I realized that when I went back into the house, I placed my computer on top of my car. My new Mac computer was no longer on top of my car. So somewhere between Elwood and the 20-ish miles to Mokina, there's a new Apple computer on the road. And so I'm at 9, 10 o'clock at night, driving from, El from Mokina to Elwood, slowly with my head out the window, looking to see where a computer might be as my brother and brother-in-law are in Elwood starting the other way. Luckily, it was only after about 10 minutes that my brother called me with the good news that he found my computer. The bad news was that it had tire marks on it from an 18-wheeler, right? <laughs> I had to get another new computer. I share that with you this morning to highlight a reality that we all know well, and it's just three words. It's always something. It's always something. And because it's, because it's always something, it's easy for us to get in a, in a spot of defeat, to feel defeated. I mean, that can be big things, that can be death, that can be illness, that can be just current entanglements that we're in with, with, with work, current entanglements that we have with family. And then we're in that spot of defeat where it's like I, like, I don't know if I can keep going on. I don't know if I can recover from this. Certainly that's big things, but also is it not the case with small things? Is it not the case that throughout, throughout, throughout the day, we can just have numerous times of the day of just a, the thought of defeat that, that, just, that comes? that can just encroach in us throughout the day, numerous times during a day, where it's like, I'm tired. Wanting to give up. Like the time, time change today, we're entering in the time of more darkness throughout the day, right? Like I get a sense of defeated just when we enter in this time of season and it's getting cold and things die. I don't understand you, all, all you out there that like the change of seasons and stuff, right? I, I can get a sense of defeated even now. The reality is that life is full of problems. You might hear me say that, you know, Father Mark, you're just being cynical there. Life is always full of problems. Like, look on the brighter side. No, like, or it can be, it's just the reality of the fall. And because of the fall, there's sin now. And because of sin, there's problems. Before the fall, before sin, there were no problems. 
We don't know what that life is like. Humanity is broken. And so it almost seems like everybody here knows, it's like we're either, we're either just coming out of a problem, we're currently in a problem, or about ready to head into the next problem. And because of that, a sense of being defeated can just come. And the evil one wants us to stay there. And he wants us to live there. That God is far away. That he doesn't care. He's not near. And so just settle right in to a spot of hopelessness. And because that's the case, because that's what Satan wants, we need to turn to the Bible. We need to turn to the scriptures, the word of God, to tell us, to inform us on what we're to do when those moments of defeat come. And they do come, and sometimes they come fiercely. And so in our first reading today, I just want to highlight two things I think that informs us on what to do in these moments of defeat. And that is confidence by remembering and the 40% rule. First, confidence by remembering. Our first reading, we hear Elijah and a widow. And Elijah and the widow are two people who are in a spot of defeat. To say that they're defeated is an understatement. Listen to the words of the widow here. In 1 Kings 17, Elijah, right, has come. He's asked for, he's asked for food from, from the widow. And the widow says this in verse 12. She says, there's only a handful of flour in my jar. In my jar and a little bit of oil in my jug. I was just preparing something for myself and my son. When we have eaten this, we'll die. The widow's literally preparing for death for her and her son. They're in a, they're, they're, they're in a, uh, in a spot of a drought and famine. So it's literally, it's, I have this little bit of oil and a little bit of, of flour left. Once it's gone, my son and I are gonna die of starvation. Notice there's no sugar coating here. <laughs> like it's bad. It's just matter of fact, bad. And they're defeated. Elijah's not in a better spot. Elijah is also hungry. He's in that spot of, of drought and famine. And he's also running from a wicked king, wicked King Ahab and his wicked, his wicked wife, Queen Jezebel. And he's running and he's just gone through 60, 70 miles of the desert to Zarephath. And the only reason why he's going to Zarephath is because God told him to go to Zarephath. And when you get to Zarephath, you're gonna find a widow and the widow's gonna give you food. So when Elijah goes, he gets there, he, he sees the widow, he asks for food, and the widow says, I can't help you. All I have is a little bit of flour, a little bit of, little bit of oil, and once we eat this, then we're gonna die of starvation after this. So you gotta think, Elijah's thinking, it's always something. And so he's got this defeat, a spirit of defeat. But listen closely to the confidence in Elijah's response that he gives to this widow when he's in the moment of defeat. Listen, he tells the widow, do not fear. Go make, go make me food with what you have. And then in verse 14, the jar of flour will not go empty, nor will the jug of oil run dry. I hear that, I'm like, Elijah, where the heck do you get that confidence? Like, where do you get the confidence of the fact that you're gonna say the flour's not gonna go empty, the oil's not gonna run dry? Here's how he got it. He got it by remembering the past. We don't hear it from our reading today. We step in in the chapter 17 at verse 10. Those of us that know the story of Elijah, those first nine verses of which we picked up in, the path of Elijah to get to the point that he's in now, 
Elijah was dying of thirst. And God told him specifically a stream to go by so that he would quench his thirst. And for a year, he was at that stream. Elijah was dying of hunger. And God told him he's going to send ravens to feed him food. Ravens typically don't feed people food. He just spent 60, 70 miles through a desert. And so then when Elijah gets to the spot where he hears, I've got no oil, I've got no bread, he says, no problem. He says, no problem. Why? Because God promised him. God promised him that a widow was going to give him food. He promised a widow was going to give him food. And he knows that God is a God who doesn't break his promises. And for you and I, that's hard for us to hear because we've been many times on the receiving end of people who break their promises. It does not feel, well, does not feel good. And because of that, we like, God doesn't break his promises. God is a God who does not break his promises. So Elijah was, could look to the past and he could see that God was faithful to me in the past when I was thirsty, when there was no food and the ravens fed me because God said they were, that God cared for me in the past and he was faithful to me in the past and he's gonna be faithful to me now he's gonna, and he's gonna care for me now. St. Ignatius of Loyola tells us, encourages us to remember and to bring to mind the reality of God's work in our lives in the past, that he was always faithful, that he was always near, even in the darkest moments. And calling to mind those things in the past helps awaken our hearts even to the possibility that God can work and that he's near, that he's faithful now. Like, so like I can have these, I can have these little moments, even looking at this past week, just these little moments of that sense that we talk about it, given a moment, the defeat can come. Even pre like preparing for this homily, it's Thursday, it's Friday, it's nothing. Like I'm getting nothing. My mind just goes to like, God doesn't, maybe like God doesn't want to use me anymore to speak through me to feed his people. It's like, how did I, how did I get there? Like how melodramatic and unrealistic is that thought? But I go there like this. I go there so quick because Satan wants me to go there. And he knows exactly the strings in my heart to pull. And he knows the strings in your heart to pull. And he wants us to stay in the spot of defeat, of hopelessness. but the grace and truth and confidence that can come from just pausing and remembering all the other times. Like for me, all the other Thursdays and Fridays over the past five years, there was nothing. And that God provides, that he was near then and faithful then and he's near now and he's faithful now. So remembering the truth of God, his faithfulness, his nearness, his goodness, that his faithfulness, his nearness, and his goodness does not go away even in moments of defeat. So secondly, real quick here, the second point, the second thing we learn from this story is the 40% rule. When we feel defeated, remember the 40% rule. Listen in verse 15. The widow left and did as Elijah had said and was able to eat for a year. And Elijah and her son as well. And then in verse 16, it says this, the jar of flour did not go empty, nor did the jug of oil run dry. The widow was able to give and give and give 
when she thought she couldn't give anything, Elijah was sustained, the widow was sustained, her son was sustained. They kept going. There's, a, there's an ultra, ultra marathon runner. Ultra marathons, I think are hundred miles. Like how you run hundred miles, I don't know. But there's an ultra marathon runner when he was running his first ultra marathon, he got to mile 60 and he was, he, he, he's slowing down. At mile 70, he got to the point where he was done. He could not go any further. But staying engaged, he was one mile after one mile after one mile, he got to 100. The 40% rule, this guy says, the 40% rule is that when you reach the spot of defeat, when you reach the spot of I can't go any further, when you reach that spot, you can always go 40% more. You can give 40% more. Now, the 40% number, that's just, don't get hung up on the number, that's just a number. The point is that we are capable of so much more than what we think. We're able to give so much more than what we think we can give. But the key is, is to the extent that we're connected to God, to the extent that we're in communion with him, the Trinitarian love, to the extent that we're there and we receive from him. That's why we've been talking the last couple of weeks on prayer, scripture, and the sacraments. That's where we receive. So the extent that we're there and we're in communion and we can receive, we can give and give and give and never run out. Now that isn't to say we don't have, like we, we don't need rest, but we can, if we can remain in a disposition, we can, re, we can remain in a, in a disposition of giving so as long as we're connected to the source and we're receiving from him. So why was, able, why was the widow able to give and give and give of the flour and oil? Like she can't multiply flour. Like she, she, she can't make more oil. Imagine if she's in the spot of self-reliance of being like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna muster up more oil. I'm gonna muster up more flour. Good luck with that. But I think is what it was is she received the confidence and trust from Elijah. It just rubbed off on her. And she placed their trust and she just kept going to the jar. She kept going there and the flour and the oil was there. God honors the faith and confidence and trust of Elijah and that widow, and he honors the faithfulness and confidence and trust from us. So maybe just wanna end with this. When we're defeated, when that sense of defeated comes, whether big things or small things, look to the cross, look to the cross. That's defeat. Like to be sure that's a sign of victory, right? It's victory but it's also defeat. God died. God allowed himself to be defeated so that you and I don't have to be defeated. You and I don't have to die. Satan wants us to stay in those spots, in the spot of hopelessness. But God died for our sins so that now he lives in us. Think about that for a minute. God lives in us now because of that. And so as we're about to receive Jesus here in the Eucharist, where's the spot that you're most defeated? Right now, maybe. Or where's the spot where you had the tendency and I had the tendency to slip into a moment of defeat and to stay there? What are the strings that Satan knows to pull in your heart and in mine? 
to identify those and then just invite him in to say, Lord, I'm tired. I tend to be defeated here. Help me stay connected to you to receive. Help me to think of the past and the way you've been faithful and always near, even in times when it seems like it's always something.